Christ is risen. Amen. Amen. Friends, it's so good to be with you this morning, and I'm so excited to read from the Gospel of John, the resurrection account. Before we get there, I want to tell you what my kids know about Easter. We were sitting around the table earlier this week, and my four-year-old James, who's in the back there, said he was so excited for Easter. And I said, you're so excited. That's great, buddy. And he said, yeah, I know what Easter is all about. I said, great. What is it all about? And he looked up and he said, finding eggs. (laughs) Okay, buddy. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. He did that this morning. Had another conversation with Anne, uh, who's also here in the back. She's eight. And we were talking about Easter yesterday morning. And I was talking about how excited I was to come to church and to, and to share and to read from the gospel and to proclaim that Christ is risen. It is going to be a wonderful day. And she said, well, but not all of Easter is happy. And I said, really? Well, tell me more about that. And she said, well, it's really sad when Jesus dies. And I said, you're right. It absolutely is very sad when Jesus dies, but it's also beautiful because in Jesus' death, we are able to live forever. Because of Jesus' suffering, we are healed. And she said, so Jesus is like unicorn tears. (laughs) And I said, "Um, say more about that. And she said, well, and she told me about this show that she watches. And she said, on the show, when someone is injured, if you bring them unicorn tears, unicorn tears heal whatever was broken. And I said, well, honey, then Jesus is absolutely like unicorn tears. I really like that. In fact, I might talk about that. She said, are you going to talk about that in the sermon? (laughs) I said, I just might. (laughs) Friends, what we are going to talk about today is that resurrection comes only after and through the tears. That is the message of hope that we proclaim today. There's only one way to redeem this mess that we're all in, the mess of sin, the darkness that surrounds us. It is through the mess. We have to enter into it and go through it in order to experience resurrection and healing. And so let's read that account of Jesus' resurrection from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, starting at verse 1. Hear this word. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw 
and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. So all of that is kind of prologue to this next part that I want you to hear, and this is where I'm going to spend our time this morning in Scripture. Verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went with the disciples, went to the disciples with this news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Friends, this is the word of God for all of us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. What a beautiful story that we read this morning of Christ's resurrection and the first person Mary Magdalene, that Jesus appeared to. It's interesting that the other disciples, that Peter and, and John, the disciple that Jesus loved, who's also the writer of the gospel, it's kind of interesting to, to know that as you read the first part because he sort of puts a little humble brag in there. Did you catch that? They both ran to the tomb, but the disciple that Jesus loved got there first. And then a little bit later, he kind of does the same thing. He, he says, eventually, you know, we came to realize, or I came to realize that I believed. Anyway, it's, it's just, that's interesting to me that John, I guess he gets that prerogative because he got to write it. But then we get to Mary. Uh, John and Peter go back to the other disciples where they, were, where they all were before this happened. Mary stays and she lingers there and she cries. And through her tears, she looks back into the tomb and all of a sudden now she sees two angels seated there. N.T. Wright quips about this. Uh, Maybe sometimes you can only see angels through tears. And they ask her, why are you crying? And she tells them why. And, and, and then she turns and sees Jesus but doesn't recognize him. And, and Jesus asks her the same thing. Why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? So I want to spend time this morning 
in a place that maybe you didn't expect to spend time this morning, we're going to spend time this morning talking about Mary's tears. Tears are, in fact, very healing, whether they come from a unicorn or from our own bodies. Tears are healing. There are properties within tears that they, they release toxins out of our system, and, and they stimulate endorphins, which create a feel-good response in us. And, and that's why maybe you've noticed that most of the time you feel better after a good cry. A few years ago, I read a story about movie theaters in Japan, and I, I love this. There are movie theaters you can go to in Japan where they play movies that are specifically meant to make you cry. And they do that because they recognize the healing value in tears. This world we live in is difficult, and we carry a lot of that around with us inside of our bodies, and it does our bodies good to release that from time to time. And so they watch movies to make them cry specifically. We're also in the middle of, well, it's now April, but it's still the, the, the conclusion of March Madness, the basketball tournament, national basketball tournament. Um, Michigan should have been there, but they're not. And that's okay. Uh, that's, sorry, that's way off topic. But what is on topic is Jimmy Valvano. If you've ever seen him, he was a coach that, uh, that coached NC State. He, he passed away from cancer, but before he did, he gave a speech at the ESPYs in which he talked about there are three things that everyone should do every day for a full life. One is that you should laugh. Number two is that you should spend some time thinking and reflecting about your life. And number three is that every day you should allow your emotions to be moved to tears. And if you've done those three things, you have lived a full day. There is something about tears that bring and facilitate healing. And we read about tears in Scripture. In Exodus chapter 3, when Moses meets God in the burning bush, God says to Moses, I have heard the cries of my people. And I have come down to rescue them. God hears our tears. Psalm 56 verse 8 says this. David writes, in a time when he was in despair, in a time when he'd been captured by an enemy, David writes this in verse 8. You have kept count of my tossings, my, my tossings and turnings in the night. You have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your record? You have recorded every one. God notices our tears. Not only that, God records them and makes note of them. We'll come back to that. The shortest verse in the Bible is about tears. Jesus wept at the death of his good friend, Lazarus, right before he raised him from the dead. And so now we come to Mary at the empty tomb and, and she is asked, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? And I wonder if those questions from Jesus resonate with you today. 
might Jesus be asking you, why are you crying? If you're here for the first time or if you are watching here for the first time, if you're in church for the first time in a long time, you may have had some tears this morning. Whether they came out or just stayed in your soul, they may be here. And I want you to know that tears are an okay response to being overwhelmed by goodness or through sadness. I remember when I went to church for the first time in college, I had I'd gone away to school and it was three hours away from home and had been away from church for a long time. And I, I grew up in the church and it was a very important part of my life. And so when, I, when it came time, when I, when I finally got settled and, and I looked around and figured out where I wanted to go to church, uh, my college roommate said, hey, um, you're going to church? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, I'll, I'll go with you so you don't have to go by yourself. And, and I walked into church, and we, and we walked in, and we sat down, and they were playing a, a very familiar hymn to me. And I had no response. I was holding the hymnal, and I couldn't sing the words because I just felt the tears welling up. The comfort of being in a familiar place, the comfort of hearing the words of promise and hope through the hymns that we know and love and sing like the ones we've sang this morning. As an aside, here's another thing for this morning. If you or someone you know uh, is longing to experience, to come back to church, maybe it's been a while since you've been in church, or you know someone for whom it's been a while, and they're interested, don't just encourage them and say, hey, yeah, you should definitely do that. You should definitely go to church. Be like my college roommate and go pick them up and say, hey, come to church with me and sit with them. It's tough to come into a church if you haven't been there in a long time. And it's especially tough to come into a new church by yourself. So offer to go with them. Now, why are we talking so much about tears on Easter? Isn't this the happiest day of the church year? By the way, this is actually the most important day of the church year. I know many people, if, we're, if they were asked, what's the most important day of the year for the church, they might respond Christmas. Uh, because it's beautiful and, and it's uh, the candles and the, and the light and Christ is born and he's born for this and that's wonderful. But let me tell you something. Christmas doesn't matter if Christ is not raised from the dead. And so Easter is the most important day of the church year. And so why are we talking about tears? Well, let me ask you, how many tears have you cried in this last year? And again, maybe they have been outward tears that streamed down your face and warmed your cheeks. Or maybe they were tears that you just hold in the ache of your heart in response to all of the things that we have been through in this year. My goodness, we've never lived through a year like this. With COVID lockdowns, with, uh, with having to stay inside, with businesses being closed, having to figure out how to do life in new ways, having to figure out how, to, how do we uh, send kids to school? Is it safe to do that? All of the stress that revolves around that, watching healthcare workers try to struggle and, and respond to 
this COVID nightmare that we've been in for the last year. That's the stuff of tears. Having to watch loved ones over a screen instead of in person. Some of you have said goodbye to loved ones that way. That is the stuff of tears. We've seen racial injustice. We've seen people crying, real people crying real tears at the loss of life. We've seen the same with mass shootings in the last couple of weeks. Real people crying real tears in response to real death. And what I'm here to tell you this morning is that God doesn't shy away from our tears. Salvation and resurrection come through the tears. In fact, that's the only way that they come. Jesus doesn't stay away from the mess of humanity. Jesus doesn't avoid the tears or go around them. Jesus enters right into them, weeps himself, and gives himself up to them in order that we might have life, in order that we might have healing. He talks about this with his disciples. He talks about this being the plan all along. In Matthew chapter 16 and elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus says, it is necessary that I enter into suffering. It is necessary that I be betrayed, that I go to the cross and suffer and die and be raised again in three days. And the disciples don't quite understand that, but here it comes to pass. It is necessary that he does this. And when he cries out from the cross, it is finished. It's not a cry of defeat. It is a cry of fulfillment. That Jesus accomplished the work that he was sent for. He completed the task for which God sent him to earth. Christ was born for this. Christ was born for tears and suffering. In order that all of that might be redeemed and made new. Christ entered even into death so that death does not have the last word. Friends, there is no other way to salvation but through the pain and through the tears and through the mess of our lives, through the darkness. I love seeing daffodils in bloom. Have you noticed them around town? That's one of my favorite signs of spring. In fact, I think my kids are getting tired of me pointing them out every time I see, hey, daffodils. Um, actually, no, they're, they're actually enjoying it. James points to them now and he says, daddy, daffodils. I love seeing them. They're so bright and beautiful. And they just, to me, they just shout God's glory. They proclaim God's glory just by their very nature of being daffodils. They shout God's glory. And yet, think about what has to happen in order for daffodils to be able to do that. They have to first be planted in the ground. They have to first go through a season of darkness. They have to sit there and make us wonder 
especially when weeks like this past one where the weather's so crazy and it's up and down and it's cold and we get snow in March and April make us wonder, is there any hope? (laughs) Are they going to come up out of that darkness? And then not only do they come up, but they come up because of a thing that we often denounce and decry and lament, which is the tears of heaven. When we talk about rain, we talk about how, oh, it's just a gloomy day. And it was so dreary today. And oh, it was just raining all day. At least that's how I do. I, most, a lot of us do. Some of you love rain, and that's great. That's, that's awesome too. Because here's the thing, right? Those daffodils don't proclaim God's glory without the rainy, cloudy, gray days first. They have to go through the darkness of the dirt. They have to go through the gray, cloudy skies. They have to go through the rain in order to jump up and proclaim God's glory. That's the only way they get there is through the darkness and through the pain and through the rain. The only way to resurrection is through the tears. Richard Rohr talks about resurrection this way. He says, I like to think of resurrection as God's way of telling us that God can take the worst thing in the world, the killing of the God-human Jesus, and change it into the best thing in the world, the redemption of everything. He goes on to say, God is, by definition, eternal. God is love, which is also eternal. And this same love has been planted in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And he says this, Such fully implanted love cannot help but evolve and prove victorious. And our word for that final victory is resurrection. Resurrection. Friends, I wonder what about this past year? What about this time that we have been through? What about this darkness and this rain and this coldness and these tears? What about that has been growing Something inside of you. What is waiting to spring forth inside of you to proclaim God's glory, to experience resurrection? Psalm 30, verse 5 says this Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing. Comes in the morning. Friends, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Some of you are like, finally, we're at Easter. Yes. Yes, we are. (laughs) But we can't get there without going through the mess first. We spent this last six weeks of the season of Lent talking about all of the ways that our lives are a mess, all of the ways that the world is a mess because of the effects of sin. And we've had the opportunity to to draw on a canvas, or if you've been here with us in person, you've had the opportunity to write on those brown sheets of paper all of the ways in which our lives are a mess. And we've written those all around the cross with the hope and the knowledge and the expectation of today when we can proclaim that Christ is risen 
And all of those fears, all of those anxieties, all of that shame and guilt, the masks that we wear, the the, the lies that we tell ourselves, all of that stuff has been redeemed by Christ's resurrection on the cross. That's what we have been waiting for all this time. And now we are here and can proclaim it. And so I invite you at home to go ahead and write redeemed on your canvas. I invite you when you go home to do the same thing. We have invited you this morning to grab flowers and place them on the cross as a sign that the cross does not get the last word, but that there is life in and through the darkness and the tears and the sadness. There is life in Christ. That's what these flowers represent. And if you haven't had a chance to put yours up there yet, I invite you to come forward at any point and do that in response to the good news that Christ is making all things new. And God will redeem every last one of these things that we wrote, every one of these last things that we wrote on this brown paper. He will redeem every bit of lost time this year. How much lost time or perceived lost time have we experienced? Time with our families that we were not able to spend together, holidays, vacations, things like that. As I mentioned, some of you have had to say goodbye to family members in this past year. And and maybe you had to do it over a screen instead of holding their hand. Some of you have experienced tremendous loss in the midst of this loss that we have all faced together. And all of that, every last bit of it, was taken with Jesus to the cross and redeemed for all time. All of that was planted in the darkness so that it might sprout new hope and new life. Christ is making all things new by his victory over the grave. Some of you, if you were a part of our Monday, Thursday service, might have noticed um, that as the service concluded, I was choked up and I was on the verge of tears. And it was for a number of reasons. It wasn't just because of the the beautiful music that we were singing, uh, It Is Well With My Soul, and and where that song comes from, a place of hurt and and, and pain and tears. Look it up if you haven't uh, before. Horatio Spafford wrote that in the midst of incredible anguish and tears. But it's also based on a quote by Julian of Norwich, who lived in the 1300s, where she said, all is well, all manner of things will be well. And it's an acknowledgement of the pain in the cross that leads to restoration and new life. And, and, And friends, all of that was welling up inside of me as we were finishing and concluding that service. It wasn't just about the beautiful music. It wasn't just about the fact that that all is well and it will be well. It was about what God is doing in our midst right here and right now. Even through a year of pandemic and pastoral change and, and upheaval and social upheaval, God is here and God is present and God is doing a new thing here at Boone United Methodist Church. Amen? Amen. Can you feel that? Can you sense that? Do you experience that? I have, and I know that I've talked with many of you who have as well, and and we've talked about it as a staff, that God is moving in new and exciting ways, and even in the chaos, and even in the uncertainty, and even in the anxiety, God is here. He is risen, and he is doing a new thing. Christ is making all things New And I am so glad that you are here to experience that with us. And like I said, if you are somebody who doesn't have a church home, please come and be with us 
as we experience what God is doing here in our midst, as we respond to the invitation that Christ gives us, hey, I will take your tears. I will account for them. I've written them all down and I'm gonna redeem every last one of them. That is the hope of Easter. That is the hope of the resurrection that we experience. And and that is why we gather today to say, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. And amen.